G'day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples as much as it can of the thrill of cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we road test Mazda's CX-90. It's replacing their CX-9. They're both large SUVs, but the new model is more of a lounge car than an express. And in our interview at our home station here for Overdrive, the most popular program is the breakfast show presented by Bruce Potter. He very kindly gives a preview the day before each Overdrive program goes to air as to what we're going to be talking about. And his listeners are now asking questions. Bruce joins us to answer the one about why birds crap on cars that have just been washed. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. All the socials, podcasts, Facebook, Instagram or YouTube and look for Cars Transport Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 10th of February 2024. Some years ago, I went on the launch of Mazda's then biggest SUV, the CX-9. We went down through the middle of Tasmania from top to bottom, including rural secondary roads with some dirt sections. I really enjoyed the spirited drive in a vehicle that was surprisingly good at coping even with tight and twisting sections. Not pure sports car, but very good for that type of vehicle. Mazda is now phasing out both their CX-8 and their CX-9, and I have bought in a new big SUV, the CX-90. It's more lounge chair than running shoes, but it is a comfortable lounge chair nonetheless. Mazda is certainly pushing up market, even the base model CX-90 has leather seats and an overall feeling of comfortable style. But a few quirky things that you need to get used to. The drive-away pricing depends on the state of Australia you are in. For most states, except Western Australia, the petrol engine variant starts at the Touring model at about $80,500, plus or minus a bit. The second level is the GT at $92,300. It is this level that I think brings the most usable extra features. It's got a 12.3-inch infotainment screen, 21-inch alloy wheels, a sunroof, heated front seats, a premium Bose 12-speaker sound system. Now, the the top-of-the-range model is the Azami, which has a drive-away price of around $101,300. Some of the extra features are ventilated front seats, cruising and traffic support, and Nappa leather seats. As noted, drive-away prices in Western Australia are typically $1,500 to $3,000 higher. There is a diesel engine that is a couple of grand a dearer in the base model, but unusually the middle and top spec models are around $1,000 or so cheaper. There are two option packs, both $5,000, the SP pack and the Takumi pack, which is a different interior. The two engine options of a petrol or a diesel are the same over the three feature variants. They are both new inline six-cylinder engines, 3.3 litres capacity. Mazda has not given up on developing internal combustion engines. Both have a mild hybrid system and drive through an eight-speed gearbox. The petrol engine has a total of 254 kilowatts of power and 500 newton metres of torque, while the diesel is quite down a bit at 187 kilowatts of power, but only 50 newton metres more in torque. 
the exterior design. At the front, it's not bullnose as the bonnet slopes down a bit, but it certainly still has a large grille and a solid chin below it. It has compact lights in a square cluster, not squinty. The side design is very flat. There are no distinctive line creases or design lines except over the wheel arches. The rear is typical of many particularly large SUVs, not standout stylish. I love the colour. The one we had was artesian red metallic. Now there's a brighter red and there are the predictable black, white, grey, blue or silver colours. All versions have three rows of seats for a total of seven passengers or, if you get the captain's chairs, six passengers. With the third row of seats in the upright position, the cargo space is not huge, but some other brand models are worse. I found a problem with the electric tailgate. Once raised, I nearly hit my head on it because it hadn't opened as far as I expected and I could push it up a bit further. Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys noted that that could be adjusted. Obviously, someone that's had the car before you, they've parked under something low. Perhaps their garage has got an overhead thing or they've parked in a car park with a low pipe. And if you raise the tailgate manually to the height you want it and press and hold the open-close button, it programs it to that height. Now, we did try that after I triumphantly told you that's how it was done and it didn't work. Although, according to the user guide, that is what you have to do. Well, it could be adjusted in the test car Alan had, but not in the vehicle that I had. Clearly something not quite right. In the interior, there's some nice clear touch buttons below the screens. While the standard interior is traditionally dark, but the optional Takumi pack has more of a wow factor. I like the timber and the cloth inserts on the door, not so much the chrome bits. Alan loved them. The concern with the Takumi pack is the stitching across the front below the infotainment screen that seems too tempting for young children to pick at. On the middle and top variants, the infotainment screen is wide and not very tall, which I like because it looks a little less protruding into the car space. The vehicles have excellent camera pictures, comfortable seats, and while the climate control features looked good, they didn't work well in the vehicle I had. On recent hot days in Australia, I could not get it cold enough. But then again, that varied. When I was going on a long trip, most of the time I had it set on the lowest temperature. But then for a while, it seemed to start working properly and I had to raise the set temperature a little. It also had cool seats, which I think are a great feature. But the maximum setting could have been a bit stronger in this vehicle. The Mazda CX-90 is a big vehicle, but sometimes even big cars don't result in enough room for rear passengers. Our feature road tester, Evan Jones, did give the Mazda a positive review. Oh, big ticks for this. Those who know me, I'm reasonably substantial of size. And um, setting it up for myself in the front seat, then immediately going around and getting in behind into the back seat, no problem. Hmm. Heaps of room. I will say that, big tick, heaps of room. The passenger door, the second door, opens almost to 90 degrees, a bit something that Nissan's very proud of in their vehicles. It is also here in this one, and I think that just makes it so much easier to approach and get in to that second row. Absolutely, yeah. It's a lot of cars, the, the back seat has room, but access is an issue. Other cars, it's the other way around. This one, both access and space are excellent. 
Like many new cars, the Mazda needs its own procedures before you get going. A little bit like a pilot's checklist. Some are rather cumbersome to learn and certainly to do the first time. When we went to start our second trip in the car, it wouldn't start. Now that was our problem, in a way. When you come to a stop and push the gear lever up and turn the engine off, the car says it's in park. Now if you look at the dashboard in front of the driver, there's a message that suggests not all is right, but who looks there when you're rushing to get out? You see, the vehicle is in park, but the gear lever isn't. Evan was less complimentary about this. So many cars nowadays have got a simple push button to go into park. So you know you're in park, it's a simple action, you press the button, P comes up on the dash, and you're not going anywhere. That's perfect. Some others have got a lever, and then it's straight straight into park. Park should be the easiest of all. But this one, you push it forward, and you've got to remember to push it to the right, and I think then you've got to do a couple of Hail Marys, and hopefully the P will come up. The infotainment screen is not a touch screen. You work the system by a dial on the control panel back down from the gear lever. You rotate the dial to where the cursor is on the choice you want, and then you press it to enter. I like it. It's a more controlled system, rather than you stabbing at a screen in a moving vehicle. Alan Zervis does not share my opinion. The system is designed to be used with a touchscreen, David. What dinosaur century are you from? <laughs> I tried to explain that turning the dial does not move the cursor anywhere on the screen, but only in distinct incremental step, stopping specifically at the options that are available. With a simple press of the button, it is clear that you have entered at the exact option you want. Alan was not convinced. Well, it's 15 steps to do one thing instead of just one. I mean, you can't just go to it and go press. I tried harder to explain. Navigation screens often have little symbols for options and changing the scale of the map requires great dexterity. While with the Mazda system, you simply twist the easy to find dial. Alan was still not convinced. Look, I think anyone born at least in the last millennium can work a pinch. Another issue was linking my phone to the car system. It's hard to remain calm when my phone says I am connected, but the car says I'm not. On this issue, Alan and I agreed. I had exactly that problem. I phoned Mazda and they said, make sure the car's stopped in park and in with the handbrake on. And I'd sat there for 20 minutes at our pickup area trying to get this thing connected. I even went to the trouble of plugging it in uh, to CarPlay to see if I could do it that way. And it asked me if I wanted to use wireless CarPlay when I plugged the cord in. I said yes. It said it was connected. I unplugged the cord and it disconnected. But that wasn't the worst bit. And the lockouts aren't the worst bit, which happens whether it's a touchscreen or a command, you're using the command center. The worst part was I get in, the first thing I do is program my favorite radio station. So I don't want all the rest. And when you use the up and down button on the steering wheel, I like it just to go up and down my favorites. And with most brands, you use the center screen, select favorites, and then that's what it chooses from. I could not find out how to enter a favorite, nor could I find out how to edit the system. And when I eventually did go in, I found that I probably had to do that with the car in park with the handbrake on as well, or it just doesn't show up. Then you have to select the station that you want. You don't have to actually play it, but you just select it in the, with the dial. Then you have to press and hold the star button, and that's on the command module as well. 
why? Why not just go up on the screen and just either with the command module or with your finger, press and hold it, have it go beep like every other car making brand does? Familiarity made it easier, but also, as the saying goes, brought about some contempt. The Mazda CX-90 has three drive modes, sports, normal and dirt. It's all-wheel drive, but I think it's more for grip on the bitumen, particularly when wet, rather than trying to go bush. The feel of the car is more like what people might think Volvo is or was, rather than, say, a sporty BMW. Now, the steering is speed-sensitive, and at parking speeds, that starts out with a very distinctive touch. My first reaction is I couldn't get over the number of turns lock to lock. I thought I was um, turning the Queen Mary, spinning the wheel like you would on on an ocean liner. It does have speed-sensitive steering, but it just seems to be very, very low-geared at low speed. Once we're on the road, the steering was as you'd expect. But yes, at low speeds, they've varied it too much. It's just too many turns. It's, it's silly. In the parking area, turning circle, it's a big vehicle. Did it have a subsequent poor turning circle? The turning circle wasn't bad for a car that big, mm. providing you're willing to spin the wheel fast to make <laughs> the most of that turning circle. You start moving forward and you're turning, the turning circle will be large until you are able to spin the wheel sufficiently. I so, felt like an old man that I I was flaying my arms in turning it when I first got into it, which yeah. I thought was me getting old and cumbersome, but I think it was a reflection of the ratio of the steering. Correct. The sports mode is not really for urban areas. It holds in lower gears, which just feels like unnecessary revving. I like the cruise control, and I found that the lane keep assist and lane centering was quite good. Not quite as competent when the road gets a little twisty as, for example, the Koreans, who do it very well. Overall, it had a quiet and very good ambience. The brakes, particularly when cold, grabbed a bit too firmly to the discomfort of passengers in particular. And while we drove it, we averaged 8.8 litres per 100 kilometres in fuel consumption, which is very good for a large petrol SUV. So, in conclusion, Mazda is pushing luxury although they might wish to still be seen to provide a range of vehicles for various price ranges. And they are doing very well in the Australian market. For the CX-90, people will appreciate the refinement of things, such as a great sound system, particularly on the upper models. The occasional but noticeable fluffing of the gearbox and annoying things to get used to is not really up to expectations for the price. But it is a well-respected manufacturer, and the CX-90 is clearly most at home as a comfortable touring vehicle. This is Overdrive across Australia. The sales figures for January have just been released, and it was the biggest January on record. Sales are up 5.8% compared to the same time in 2023. Low emission vehicles such as hybrids and plug-in hybrids and, of course, battery electric vehicles, make up 17.4% of sales, while battery vehicles alone represent 5.4%. The demand for battery vehicles appears to have plateaued a little of late. But in other news, InMotion Ventures, the investment arm of 
Jaguar Land Rover has announced a 1.85 million equivalent Australian dollar investment in energy source. Now that's an early stage Brazilian startup offering solutions for the repair, reuse and recycling of lithium batteries. The whole debate about electrification is not a one-dimensional shouting match but a complex series of interactions, hopefully working to community benefits. And there was an interesting article from Wired magazine that says that critics or people who comment have long been accused of accepting money from companies in exchange for a review of their gadget book or movie. The practice, they say, is widespread and growing. Overdrive does not accept payment from any car company. Although we note that if we review a car, it has typically been loaned to us for a week for an evaluation. You're listening to Overdrive. At our home station here for Overdrive, the most popular program is The Breakfast Show, presented by Bruce Potter, who has a long history as a copywriter in advertising. He very kindly gives a preview the day before each Overdrive program goes to air to what we're going to be talking about. And his listeners are now asking questions about motoring and transport. His Royal Highness, Lord Potter, is on the line. G'day, Bruce. What an honorific. Thank you so much, David. I'm well, and it's great to be with you, as always. And, uh, you know, David, uh, when you can fake sincerity, you've got it made. <laughs> Bruce, what was the recent insightful question one of your listeners desperately needed to find an answer to? Well, one of our lady listeners who keenly uh, uh, supports your program wanted to know why it is that when you clean and shammy your car or polish your car and it's absolutely gleaming, within 20 minutes, a bird or birds will evacuate all over it. <laughs> and it always seems to get in those hard-to-get places like the windscreen wipers and the windshield or the doors or the, uh, the window sides where the, the rubber joins the window and it takes so much time to clean it off and it's of industrial strength. Ah. I mean, you really need a lot of elbow grease to get it off. I mean, it seems to be. Are the birds doing it deliberately? Uh, have they got some kind of higher thinking that we're unaware of? But we thought we'd come to you as the guru. Soon after the question, I had a new test car and it got crapped on. Well, what more can I say? I mean, I think there's a plot out there, David. I believe they are very smart and I think that it's a bit like kids going on holidays with their parents in a car, you know. I've got to go to the toilet. I've got to go to the toilet. Hang on, hang on, just wait, just wait. Oh, there's one there. He's just finished it. She's just polished it. Let it go. <laughs> does that kind of, you know, does that strike a chord with you? The level of detail hasn't been proved scientifically yet, Bruce. In my case, it was plonked on the front windscreen halfway <laughs> between where the wiper would cover and the wiper would not. Yeah, the other thing I noticed too, David, is they're very adept at dropping it on your back windshield right in the very middle where it's terribly difficult to get to without a stepladder. <laughs> the cleverness of this deserves greater research. Now, I have been looking into it. There are about 10 reasons why birds make crap on cars, some specifically because they have just been washed. I'll break them into groups, but the first group is geospatial reasons. Now, obviously, if you plant them under a tree or power lines, you're asking for trouble, but the bird may also mark its territory particularly if the car remains stationary in one place for a long time, or particularly if the bird is nesting at the time. It wants to be more specific about the territory. But finally, and I like this, 
there can be a lack of perching opportunities. So <laughs> if you park the car away from a tree, a long way away, you might think you're being clever, but it might then become the only opportunity for a bird to park and sit there for a while. And of course, if it sits, it also, no, there's a word that rhymes there, but I better be careful. Mm, yes, yes, yes. It also poops. <laughs> So, in other words, David, explain to me why that the bird never seems to defecate around the car. It's always on the car. Maybe they're all bombardiers. Maybe they're all in the Bird Air Force. But they seem to be very good at not getting it anywhere around the car. It's always on the car. Two things that we have with somewhat great paranoia think that they're after us. But secondly, it becomes a place where they can actually stop and uh, rest for a while. Maybe they've been trained by Repco because without the uh, purchase of all that cleaning gear, uh, Repco wouldn't have the fabulous profits that they have today. Could be, David. Could be. Maybe, maybe someone there's training it. I knew it would be you who could push a marketing line to that, Bruce. <laughs> I will have burned the hand is worth two in the bush, David. There are some very specific reasons why it's a washed car. And firstly, reflection. Birds are attracted to shiny surfaces, so a nice clean car can do it. It brings out, of course, and the colour of the car. It makes it bright, so it's like plumage. Also, I believe that birds like to defecate on watery surfaces, which is interesting. And the final one, which I think is absolutely brilliant, that insects are attracted to things that have a scent. And some of the waxes or polishes that are used for cars have a fruit scent to them. Ah, uh, now listen, you're, you're, you're getting into the, the nub of this. They, they, it's, it's the people from Repco again. <laughs> They're marketing scented products. And they see this as a heaven scent, oh no, <laughs> opportunity to increase their profits. Oh dear, oh dear. There might also be the final reason, Bruce, is that Sometimes people hop in cars and rev them. In fact, I, the Jaguar F-Type I drove the other day, when you get in the car, it does it for you. It gets in and goes, vroom, when you start it up. Oh. When I'm out and about in a, a wide awake, that's fine. But when I get up first thing in the morning, I, I'm not sure. I just hope that I could turn it off. Uh, but the point about it is that may then startle the birds. It's something that can happen. Forget about not frightening the horses. It's a matter of startling the birds, isn't it, really? Do you know the most popular colour of a car that bird will, birds will defecate on? Red. That's absolutely right, yes. Is it? Oh, <laughs> oh thank goodness for that. That answers part of my problem. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, a UK parts dealer, retailer, did some research, looked at over a 1,000 cars, 18% of the spots on, on the cars that they found were red, blue was second, black was third, white was fourth, but getting pretty small, 7%. But it was the paler colours that made less likely to be bombed. Uh, silver grey, less than 3%, and similarly green was about one. So driving a green car has certain advantages as well. And who did the research, David? Another retailer of automotive products. Hmm, I see. Follow the money. Isn't that the, the principle? Follow the money. 
That's what it is. Always follow the money. And I think we've probably nailed this. Yeah. It's been absolutely fabulous, though, going through it all. It really has. Well, it brings out real things. I mean, red is a colour of ripened fruit and so on. So it, it does make a difference. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, it does indeed. You refer to it as a scatological piece of research, Bruce. Yes, yes, yes. Very scatological, David. You know, and I'm not talking about... Um, jazz singing. Scatological actually does refer to dung and things. It does indeed. Just a spreading of, as in a man woman, or a mad woman. I think that was the old saying. Oh, okay. It can refer to dirty talk, I believe. So yes. talking about crap in circumstances and dirty talk, this is an ideal subject for radio. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, you know, it'd be a very short career, of course, but um, <laughs> gee, you'd be remembered. Thank you for your increased vocabulary that you add. Oh, look, that's okay. But then again, there are many people who think that talkback hosts talk a lot of manure anyway, so I think we're in the in the right area, David, very much so. That was what I was hinting at, but trying to avoid saying. <laughs> Popular culture, the movies? One thing that you know, has always struck me, I, I, I always loved the movie The Birds with Rod Taylor and Tippi Edron. That, to me, kind of revealed you know, that inner deep nastiness and thinking of the birds but I did notice in that entire film and you may remember there were there were scores of birds of all types not once did uh, a bird crap over Rod Taylor or Tippy Hedron they were absolutely immaculate airbrushed and uh, groomed to within an inch of their lives uh, did the birds know this were they briefed or was this uh, Mr Hitchcock being overzealous I'm not sure love of celebrity could well be could well be uh, but then again you know isn't it good luck to be crapped on by a bird? I think I remember my grandmother telling me that. Not in those terms, of course. There are some people who do believe that it is good luck, that it uh, reflects that something good would happen today. There's also a superstition around that said that you may be having a visitor that uh, may come <laughs> along to it. What about men with bald heads? Oh, dear, oh, dear. I think that could be a problem given the shining uh, the shining aspects of, of, of importance here. Yeah. There is a... Um, well, I had a football coach who called, was called, uh, affectionately, Mudguard. Shiny on the top, but full of something underneath. Um, I think you'll be able to work that out. <laughs> he might sweat, so it makes, as I said, birds like to defecate apparently over watery surfaces or moisture and dew and things. Well, it, it, perfectly plausible. You know what, David? I, did not, I can't believe that we've been able to talk so much crap. To be honest, that's, it's amazing, isn't it, really? Why? What's different? <laughs> oh, well, we had to go through the motions. But what, I, what I've liked is we've carried on undeterred. <laughs> the thing about bald heads, of course, too, is that we might have aftershaves or things, or even washing your hair. Now, how many fruit products, if you're semi-bald, if you've got that bald patch, like a landing strip, maybe that might be. But I think this needs a further uh, research. I love the story, though. We talk about uh, attraction to cars. Dean, our resident artist, who uh, talked about being up in the Northern Territory, and when the cars have been on long trips and outback roads, pull into a place and park, and there's a bar in front of the parking spot to make sure you don't go too far, birds are sitting there in order to peck at the insects that have, of course, been killed and are on fresh, though, on the front grill of the car. On the front. It's a bit rather like, a, you know, an outback barbecue for them, really, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, fast food. Yes. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> 
it's been absolutely fabulous though going through it all. It really has. Well, it brings out real things. I mean, red is a colour of ripened fruit and so on. So it, it does make a difference. <laughs> it does indeed. Um, it does indeed. By the way, we may think that we're being, you know, we may be paranoid about it because birds have to do it quite often. A little bird will do it 25 times a day and a big bird 50 times a day. The reason being is, and we should understand this, is that carrying around a lot of weight, I meant that from a car point of view and using fuel, uh, is pretty uh, horrendous when you're flying. I would think so. Remember that old, uh, that old nursery rhyme of ours, David, a wonderful bird is the pelican. <laughs> Its beak can hold more than its belly can. And I'm so glad we don't have a lot of them around Sydney, especially in my red car. <laughs> yeah. What was it? Uh, I, I, look, I got spotted in the eye. I looked up and thanked the Lord that cows don't fly. Don't fly. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, dear, oh, dear. As, a, as I said, I don't think two fellows could um, talk as much crap for as long as you and I have. We've had plenty of practice and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to continue to do so in the future on your very successful breakfast morning program. Bruce, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, David, anytime. And that's Bruce Potter, who is the breakfast host who gives an overdrive overview every morning the day before our program first goes to air on the home station. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Evan Jones, Alan Zervis, Bruce Potter and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or links to the socials and podcasts. Look for Cars, Transport, Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>